The do's and don'ts of working with ethically non-monogamous clients, E.J. Millstone, May 27, 2022. A good clinician friend of mine used to say, if you think you're not seeing people who are non-monogamous in your office, you're wrong. And they're probably right. A recent study estimates that one in nine people in America have, quote-unquote, engaged in polyamory at some point in their life. If a full 10% of people have tried out polyamory, imagine how many more have explored or experimented with non-monogamy. It's a pretty sure thing some of them are sitting in your office. How can clinicians be better prepared to serve this part of their client base? A good first, a good first step is understanding the context of non-monogamy and what that might look like for different people. What is non-monogamy? Non-monogamy has been part of the human experience of love and sex since the beginning of humans. Folks who practice ethical non-monogamy, E-N-M, consciously choose to define themselves as ethical in response to the frequent practice of cheating or affairs non-monogamy can often refer to. People who practice E-N-M tend to value honesty and integrity and aim to differentiate themselves from people who may explore outside of their main partnership with the consent of that partner. Before we move forward, it may be helpful to set some definitions. There are a lot of ways that people who practice ethical or sometimes referred to as consensual non-monogamy identify. If we consider ethical or consensual non-monogamy to be a big umbrella, here are some other terms and practices that fall underneath that umbrella. Polyamory, generally defined as quote-unquote many loves, polyamory usually applies to people seeking out multiple intimate relationships that may include sex, love, family, building, community, and more. Hierarchical polyam. This generally involves a couple who has established a nested or commingled relationship in terms of housing and finances, etc., and also engage in other intimate partnerships that are less nested in, in structure. Relationship anarchy. This relationship often eschews hierarchical conventions and seeks to maintain multiple relationships at whatever level they organically fit in a person's life, whether that's friendship, sexual, emotionally intimate, etc. Solo polyam. Often someone who identifies as solo polyam will engage in relationships but consider their own self to be their primary or nested partner. Swinging. Swinging is a specific subset of a, of a sexual play lifestyle wherein couples explore sexual practice, explore sexual practices and sexual experiences with others but consider themselves the only ones in the intimate partnership. Open relationship. This is another umbrella term similar to ENM that can encompass any of the above along with many other types of relationship structures as defined by the individuals in them. The challenges of ethical non-monogamy and therapy. In my experience, clinicians often find the bulk of their experience with non-monogamy to be negative or damaging. As you read these definitions, I invite you to consider whether you feel a sense of discomfort. If you find yourself to be uncomfortable with or even judgmental of ENM practice, that's okay. We're often uncomfortable when we encounter, encounter ideas or terms we don't have a lot of familiarity with. And no doubt you spent some time with couples and doing the damage of affairs too. 
As a result, we may feel underprepared and a bit off step if someone tells us they're openly ENM. I encourage you to sit with those feelings of judgment and uncertainty if they arise. As clinicians, we all come with built-in biases, confusion, and stressors. My hope is as you sit with your feelings of discomfort, you're able to explore where that comes from in you. Our world is diverse, full of so many different people and different things that bring them joy and contentment. ENM is one of those things for some people. When clinicians bring judgment and shame into the session from their own bias or sense of moral correctness, we can do harm to the client in front of us. Challenge your own assumptions and seek out further education if you need to. In turn, this will help you offer your clients a safe space through unconditional positive regard. Do's and don'ts of therapy with ethically non-monogamous clients. Clients are open about being ENM are ones that feel safe to do so in session. That begins with making your office open and accepting even before they walk through the door. These folks may be in your office to explore feelings around ENM such as jealousy, fear, uncertainty, and conflict. But they may just as easily be there to explore their job stress, their parenting, the loss of a loved one, or a diagnosis of depression. The best strategies for counseling folks in ENM arrangements are the same strategies you use with any client. Here's some basic don'ts and do's. Don't assume. Don't assume emotional experience, relationship configuration, sexual preferences, or frequency. Don't even assume they want to talk about their relationships. Instead, allow the client to lead and be open to where they lead the conversation. Don't pathologize. Long ago, I had a client report that another clinician had called her a nymphomaniac in quotations because she had two long-term partners, but the client hadn't even had sex in six months. Also, there's no such thing as nymphomania. Don't be this clinician. Don't be afraid to say you don't understand or know about something. Clients may use terms like compersion, the happy feeling we get when a partner is happy with another partner. If you don't know the term or are uncertain, ask. Clients don't expect you to know everything, but with that being said, don't expect clients to educate you. If your lack of understanding is more than just a term of basic query, do some of your own education and research. The book, Love and Abundance, A Counselor's Advice on Open Relationships by Kathy Labriola, is a great place to start. You can also seek out supervision or consultation from a colleague who has more experience in the area so that you can be better prepared to support these clients in your practice. Do create a safe space. One easy way to do this is to use welcoming language on your website and in your paperwork. Use terms like partners instead of spouse or husband and wife. Use blank lines instead of check boxes so you can leave room for people to write in whatever they need about their relationships and household. Put ENM books on your shelf and enough chairs in your waiting room to accommodate whomever comes in. And remember that intimate relationship therapy can include more than two people. Do be aware of some issues that are common to the experience of ENM. Things like jealousy, envy, inadequacy, fears of abandonment, time and scheduling struggles, uncertainty, and more do exist in ENM relationships just like they do in monogamous ones. 
Part of educating yourself about ENM will be familiarizing yourself with some of these common concerns so you aren't caught off guard if and when they come up. Do be aware of common issues outside of therapy. ENM clients may have concerns like marginalization, discrimination, biases in medicine and mental health, challenges in education and work and more. Clients may be more likely to face legal battles and discriminatory systemic practices as well as personal rejection, family conflict, and ostracization due to their relationship style. Do know that breach of trust is possible. Affairs and cheating can still occur in ENM just like they do in monogamous ones. If a partner goes outside of the relationship agreement, the loss of trust and emotional fallout is the same no matter the relationship configuration. And remember, you can have monogamous people having marginalization, discrimination, biases in medicine and mental health challenges in education and work and more as well. Do take clients at their word. Trust your own clients to be the experts of their own experiences. Stay behind them. Let them lead and let them tell you what they need. Stay curious, stay open, stay engaged. In all, working, in all, working with clients to identify as in ENM relationships is mostly like working with any other client. While special considerations do exist, those considerations are for the safety and well-being of the client rather than any special or specific issue to look for. Much like when we work with any marginalized group, it's important for us as clinicians to be aware of our biases, communication style, understanding, and emotional reactions. This will guide us to be better clinicians for everyone who walks through our doors. So yes, I am a solo polyamorous person. I do polyamory. I do open relationships. I do swinging. And those are all fun for me. So yes, I do practice ethical non-monogamy. So now, let's talk about this. Discrimination against child-free adults. Ellen Walker, PhD, complete without kids. Child-free adults are speaking out more about discrimination. Posted May 2nd, 2011, psychologytoday.com. It says, child-free adults are speaking out more and more these days about discrimination. While this murmur growing to a small uproar is actually a surprise to many who didn't realize that discrimination existed, consider the following real-life examples. A young male professor recently contacted me asking for advice on dealing with discrimination in his workplace. He explained that at the start of each quarter when teaching schedules are selected, the parenting the parenting professors, both mothers and fathers, are given first pick so that their work does not interfere with their children's school and extracurricular activities. A twenty a twenty year old college age client complained that despite being the first to ask, her request to have Halloween night off to be with friends was turned down because the parents she worked with quote-unquote, needed to have this evening off to go out trick-or-treating with their children. 
Maternity and paternity leave is routinely given to parents of newborn children, but other employees are seldom, if ever, offered an equal amount of time off for endeavors that are to them of equal value. For example, they may wish to go away to do volunteer work for several months, help out an ill or elderly relative, do a home remodel, take an extended journey, or write a novel. Parents are giving tax breaks for children, while child-free adults pay a higher percentage. Parents of children under a certain age are allowed to bring them onto airplanes for free while travelers with small pets that can fit in a travel case under the seat are charged substantial fees. On some airlines, parents traveling with children under a certain age are allowed to board ahead of others, even on airlines that don't assign seating. And on a recent international flight I was on, a small child who was flying for free screamed, threw food and ran up and down the aisle, resulting in a number of, ex- of exasperated passengers who were seated nearby. When I asked the stewardess about the possibility of moving the mother and child, I was told that I could find another seat if I chose to do so, but that nothing would be said to the mother about her lack of management of her child's behavior. So how should child-free adults respond to these and other discriminatory situations? If you're being discriminated against in the workplace, speak out assertively. Insist that your request for scheduling and time off be given equal priority to those of parents. Ask that leave away from work be offered on an equal basis so that everyone can have the opportunity to focus on dreams and aspirations. Join the outcry from passengers who are asking that airlines make an effort to seat parents and children in separate sections so that other passengers can travel in peace. Ask parents who choose to not manage the behavior of their children to do so. Ask a second time if necessary. Speak out about tax structures and question the lack and question the lack of logic behind financially rewarding procreation in, in an overpopulated world. Child-free adults, you do not need to apologize for your choice. Remember that parenting is an option, not an obligation. While this comes And with this comes sacrifice as well as responsibilities. There will be less of a divide between parents and child-free adults if we all take responsibility for the decisions we make and have mutual respect for one another's life's choices. Allow yourself to feel generous towards your colleague when she leaves early to attend a soccer game, but give yourself permission to also leave early without apology for an activity that is important to you. This is about the author Ellen Walker, PhD, is a clinical psychologist and author of Complete Without Kids, an insider's guide to child for living by choice or by chance. So I am also a child-free adult. So I am permanently child-free by my choice. And I am also permanently ethically non-monogamous by my choice, too. I decided that I'm going to experience a successful vasectomy in the near soon future. And that I'm going to experience a successful circumcision of my penis in the future. 